And so audience sizes are just getting insanely large. And this creator world is just barely starting to go mainstream. And so I think, you know, 10 years from now, tools will keep getting better. Audiences will get remarkably better. And then the systems and processes for what works will get infinitely better. What is up, my friend, and welcome to The Dan Go Show. I'm your host, Dan Go, coach to high-performing entrepreneurs and professionals. And what we do at The Dan Go Show is tease out the best practices of the highest-performing entrepreneurs in the world while sharing cutting-edge, evidence-based information to help you become healthier and wealthier. So if that's what you're into, you're in the right place. Click that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so every time one of my episodes goes live, you'll be the first to know. What's up? And welcome to the podcast. Today, I have Nathan Barry, who is the CEO and founder of ConvertKit. And one thing I will say is that this was a very special interview uh, that I did because Nathan's software has literally changed my business. And I'm not making this into a ConvertKit advertisement. I, I promise you I'm not doing that. But but again, the way in which he approaches business and the way in which he kind of foresees uh, in relations with like his employees and also kind of like what he sees in the next like five to 10 years for the creator space. Uh, these are definitely things that you want to listen to. And he also talks about uh, how to be a billion dollar creator. So if you create things for yourself, if you're an entrepreneur, and if you want to even get into creator space, he talks about like the possibilities that that can happen as a result of getting into this space. Uh, we also talk about how he manages his energy, uh, how he balances running a nine-figure company with his family, and also with all the travel that he does. And uh, and yeah, like just in general, Nathan is uh, one of like the most down-to-earth, coolest dudes that you'll ever meet. That you'll ever meet, probably like running a nine-figure company at this very moment, which is going to turn into a billion-dollar company. Uh, this was again like uh, a great conversation that we had. Hope you enjoy it. And this is Nathan Barry from ConvertKit. See you there. All right, welcome to the podcast. And uh, today we have Nathan Barry. And uh, before we get into the interview with Nathan, I, I just have to say, in a very direct way, you have actually changed my life. Uh, before uh, kind of like knowing about ConvertKit, before uh, knowing about the things that you do, uh, I was using another email uh, marketing company, which who shall not be named. And and when I was working with them, I, I had just like a very like different perception of like what email marketing and newsletters were. And then uh, when I started to kind of like talk to creators on ConvertKit and I started to talk to them and they're asking me like, OK, so like what email provider are you using? Every single time that I told them what my email provider was, they're like, why are you such an idiot? Why are you not on ConvertKit already? <laughs> uh, and then when I jumped onto ConvertKit, the things that blew me away were number one, like your team, incredible. Uh, the attention to detail, the customer service, the way that they actually care is by far like not even just for like from an email marketing company, from a company uh, that actually cares about what they do. That's what struck out to me the most. And then the other thing was just like, you know, the the product works, so like the actual software works. Uh, the deliverability went up, I think it was like 80, 80 to 100 wow. percent. Um, you know, I totally just like. I, I, like emails were actually reaching people's uh, you know boxes as opposed to like not, and then also just like the 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 things that you have brought to the forefront to actually help me grow even further, which we'll talk about. Those have been 
incredible. So Nathan, I know it's a big preamble, big introduction, <laughs> but I just want to say welcome. Thank uh, you. And I, and I told you before, it's like, I love you. Thank you. I, I love <laughs> I you. Thank that. you for being here. Yeah. Oh, it's a ton of fun. Like, I mean, my favorite, my two favorite things in the world, right? Uh, on the work sense, you know, we'll, we'll exclude the kids and family from all of that, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, but the, uh, I love building things for creators and I love seeing them actually use it. And so it's been fun to have you on ConvertKit and watch not only what you're building on, you know, your social audiences, but then how you've built that out inside of the email side of things. And, and, uh, like people are always like, Oh, you know, say something like you've done so much. What can I do for you? I'm like, man, just keep doing what you're doing. Keep, <laughs> keep yeah. using the product to its full potential. And, and, uh, you know, serving an audience. Like my favorite yeah. thing is that I get to build product for a whole bunch of people that are serving far more. Like I think mm -hmm. my job is to serve my team and then together we serve, you know, 50,000 paying creators and those creators serve, I don't know, five, 600 million readers. And that's like, okay, we, that's how we impact people is through those expanding layers. You're literally going to impact billions of people through the software that you're putting out there. It's pretty sweet, uh, right? Because there's yeah. so many creators. I, I feel like on other platforms, you get people who are, are thinking about it in terms of, okay, what can my subscribers, what can my readers do for me? And I think a lot of the ethos of ConvertKit creators is what can I do for my readers? It's the opposite, right? You, you yeah. don't come in thinking like, okay, I have 100,000 people on my email list. This is my ATM. I'm going to mm. stroll over to it and punch in the amount of money and like get that out of it. Instead, it's like, no, like here's a hundred thousand people that I am here to serve. And my job is to make sure that they, uh, you know, lead a happier, healthier, uh, richer life. And you know, how can I do that? And then mm. knowing that if that is my number one focus as a creator, then like all of my financial needs and goals will be a hundred percent taken care of. And so I just love yeah. that we attract that kind of creator and it's become sort of this virtuous cycle where you're like, Oh, if you're this kind of creator, you should be on ConvertKit. And if you're, you know, <laughs> the, the <laughs> content creator who views it as an ATM, then like, I don't know, go to Infusionsoft or something. <laughs> There's yeah. other places that you can go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and that was actually one of the biggest distinctions I made, especially when jumping onto ConvertKit. Um, I told you, you know, before this, like I knew about direct response marketing, I knew about copywriting and all this kind of stuff. But like when I went to ConvertKit, I was like, I'm throwing all this shit out the window. Like I, I do, I mean, it's still there as like a foundation yeah. of like how to sell, but the most important thing is, is like, what can I do to give as much value and actually to treat these things or these newsletters that I put out as events that people are looking forward to attending every single week, as opposed to trying to extract something out of them. And we were talking about this before. It's like the, the revenue say like per email is, is let's just say it's like, it's, it's lower, but the revenue, the, the actual total revenue as a result of doing this when doing it this way is much higher. And, and one of the things I love about you is the fact that you actually started in the very same spot that I'm starting in, which is like as a creator, uh, can you kind of give us like the, the thousand foot view of like where you started from, uh, how you got to getting shingles and, and where you are <laughs> yeah. right now? Yeah. First of all, being a creator is dangerous as the story will mm -hmm. tell you, like <laughs> you can, you can take it too far. Yeah. Uh, so there's other podcasts I've done where you can like deep dive on my story and all that, but I'll give the high level uh, view. So 
I started in design in high school, uh, web design, um, you know, ended up dropping out of college to do a like web agency and, um, I built that business pretty well. 2008, 2009 left to, to, uh, well, the, the market was crashing. I ended up taking a job at a company, led their design team for three years, got to build a lot of cool stuff for the iPad when it first came out. So I got immersed in that iOS world, um, built a bunch of IO, IO, uh, I can't speak, (laughs) built a bunch of iOS apps, um, both for clients and then also, um, you know, just on the side. And then I ended up deciding to write a book on how to design iPhone applications. And, uh, there's one habit in there that set the stage for everything for me. And that was, I'd start working on this book and I'd make some progress and then none. And it was like back and forth and, you know, it like ebbed and flowed way too much. And Chris Gillibo is this amazing content creator who had said that like, just write a thousand words a day, do that. And you'll hit all of your goals. Um, and so I set out to do it. First, I made an iPhone app to track the habit of writing a thousand words a day. Uh, <laughs> and what ended up happening is I published a book called the App Design Handbook. My goal was to make twelve thousand, or sorry, to make ten thousand dollars in sales over the lifetime of the book, and then to try to use that reputation from being the guy who wrote the book on the topic to get a bunch more freelance and consulting gigs. What ended up happening is I launched it to an email list of. 798 people uh, on MailChimp. And uh, I thought I'd make $10,000 over the lifetime of the book. I made $12,000 in the first 24 hours. And I was like, there's something to this content creator thing. This was in September, 2012. Uh, But then the like probably most impactful day of my career as a creator was not the day I launched the book. It was the next day when this iPhone app that I'd made popped up and said, are you going to write a thousand words today? And I thought, no, like I hit my goal. I published (laughs) the book, like done success, bigger Mm. success than I could have imagined. And I hear I have this little app that says, Hey, are you going to keep doing your thing and stay consistent? And I thought, okay, I could write a blog post about how the book launch went. You know, let me share the story I've learned from other people. Let me pay that forward. Did that published next. That was on a Tuesday. So then on a Wednesday, guess what happens? The app does what it does every day. And it pops up and says, are you going to write a thousand words today? And I thought, no, like I did that. But I looked <laughs> and it was now 83 days in a row. And I was like, oh, I don't want to break that streak. Like that's meaningful. And so I thought, what could I write about? Well, let me write another book. And so I wrote, you know, a similar book, but about designing web applications. Wrote that over the next 90 days. Because turns out if you're writing a thousand words a day, that's 90,000 words. And that is a book, all your launch material, stuff that go out to an email list, tons of guests. But like 90,000 words is a ton. Um, but it's really only two, two and a half pages a day. Uh, so I, I launched that. The email list had grown to about 4,000 people at the time. Uh, I did $25,000 in sales in the first day, 50,000 in the first month. Um, by the way, I never took on another design client. <laughs> like I was all in on the creator thing. Were, were people kind of reaching out to you? Oh, 100%. The, the strategy that, worked yeah. really well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was getting the demand from people who were like, great, I have an app. <laughs> like I'm learning the stuff, but can I just pay you to design the app? And I was like, mm. no, I'm just going to keep selling ebooks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Because <laughs> once you hit leverage, right? Um, so Naval Ravikant talks about how there's four kinds of leverage. Uh, what is it? People, capital, um, people, capital. What I can't remember the third one. Uh, the fourth one is he says products. I, I think it's kind of phrase weird, but products with no marginal cost of replication, which is a fancy way of saying build it once, sell it mm-hmm. twice, or a thousand times. And so when I realized uh, that, you know, in this case, uh, like. I was selling this ebook over and over and over again with no additional work. Then it's like, why would I take on a design client and get paid by the hour, you know, or by the project? That sounds terrible. So yeah, that kicked it off right in there. That was actually the most prolific time of my entire life because (laughs) I wrote two books. Uh, That was December, mid-December that I published the next book. Then I got fed up with MailChimp as a product and started ConvertKit January 1st. Uh, I kept writing in April. I published another book called authority and which was all about like building an audience, my self publishing journey made a bunch more money off of that. Uh, and so in like this six month period, six, eight months, I wrote three Mm. books and started a software company. Um, so (laughs) that was, how many kids did you have at that time? Was that like, um, I had one, one kid. He, so he would have been, a year and a half, a year to year and okay. a half old. Um, okay. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, the thing that surprises me even in this is if you can stay focused on the main thing, it doesn't actually take that much time every day. Mm. Right? Like writing a thousand words a day, let's say it takes two hours. That's probably the longest it would ever take me. But if you can actually make sure that that as like, you know, that everyone has heard the analogy of like the rocks in the jar and then you pour the sand Mm. in afterwards, right? Um, If you can actually do that, then you can produce an insane amount. And I talk to these creators now, like I think of Ryan Holiday, who is just an insanely prolific writer and content creator. And he would be the first to tell you that he doesn't work that hard. Mm. You know, he's like, now I don't grind it out for 10 hours a day. He's like, I just get the most important thing done. And the most mm-hmm. important thing, you know, that feeds the entire flywheel of his business is content creation. Yeah. And so he makes sure that he is writing, he's making progress on whatever his current book is. Uh, and then like one article every day. And that fuels everything, you know, and that fuels his back catalog. Like the man now has, I don't know, 12 books that he's published. Uh, and all of this, he's like, I just write every day. And of course he's an amazing marketer and he's built up a team and, and all of that. But it's interesting of, mm-hmm. um, you know, this idea of keeping the main thing, the main thing. So one of the things that comes to mind is like when, when I talk to business owners and when they're trying to build up, like say uh, an audience online, one of the main things that they want to outsource is the content creation. Mm. And then, and then to me, that sounds for lack of better terms, just like not so smart because the content creation piece is what draws people in. It's the main marketing uh, channel. It's like what people use to like connect with you. And this also reminds me of like this. So we're we going through kind of like this medical situation right now um, with one of our family members. 
And it's taken me away from my business, away from being able to manage the day to day. But then I asked myself, I'm like, okay, so if I were to consolidate my day into doing like two things, like what would they be? It would be creating newsletters, it'd be creating content. That's it. And then when I did that, it's like your business still thrives because you still have the support staff, you still have all that kind of stuff, but you put the main thing as the main thing. And then that is actually the main driver that grows a business in the first place. Yeah, I both agree and disagree with that. Hmm. So the part that I agree with is make sure that you're focusing on you know, what's most important. I think a lot in terms of flywheels, and we can talk about that more later if you yeah. want, but understanding what is actually driving this. You know, what activity in your day or week or in your business, if you stop doing it, would it all kind of just slow down and die, right? Hmm. Um, later on, when I made the switch to focus from my content business on ConvertKit, I thought, oh, this is just going to coast on for a long time. You know, I'm going to make $10,000 a month off of the back catalog of eBooks um, without promoting them, without writing new content. And the truth is it dropped down to like 1500 to 2000 a month pretty quickly hmm. without that like steady beat of, um, content being created now. So I think it's really important that you focus on, okay, this is what I can do best. And so much else of this, I can, um, hire a team for build processes. <laughs> and we used to have it when a, a creator inside of ConvertKit changed plans, right? They hit 10,001 subscribers. So they tipped up to the next plan. It used to be that like, the software would tell us, hey, this creator needs to be moved plans, but it had to be a manual process to do it. We, it didn't happen automatically before we built that mm -hmm. software. Because in the early days, we also used that for uh, some level of like spam and fraud detection. So it's helpful to see what was going on in the platform. I used to treat it as work, right? I would go in and be like, oh, let me upgrade these accounts and take care of that. And I realized it was just entirely busy work. And so mm -hmm. it was, even though that increased revenue, like that should have been automated and gotten out of there much sooner than I did. So there's all kinds of things that are important to just focus on what actually drives the value and automate or delegate or eliminate everything else. Now, sometimes I think people get too precious about the content that they create mm -hmm. where they say, I have to be the one to write it. And there's various spectrums, right? Like on one end, people say, Anything that comes out under my brand has to be created by me. Hopefully they're working with an editor or something so that it's actually better. Quick side note, early on with my newsletter, I was talking to someone um, and for whatever reason, I had this point of pride that I did it all myself. And I said something mm. like, yeah, and I, I don't even work with an editor. You know, it's just, it's a hundred percent me. And they went, yeah, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> I was like, ooh. Ouch. <laughs> and I look, look back and I was like, read things with a fine tooth comb. And I was like, oh, yeah, I, I can tell too. Right. And so you <laughs> assemble that team around you of mm. um, getting that help. You're and calling then, me out right now. You're definitely calling me out because I'm just like, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm like, I have such pride of like doing everything when it comes to like the content angle of things. And then, but that, that also constitutes the idea that. I'm probably like really messing up on, let's just say the editing of like my newsletters or let's just say like, right. uh, you know, certain things that don't necessarily need to have that much time attended to it in the first place. So I do appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So I think, you know, on one hand you could say, okay, the content is the driver of the business and that is what I have to do. 
But I think if you peel back some layers, you realize that, you know, your ideas and your unique perspective um, and your past life experience is what drives the content. And so the content doesn't all have to be created by you to have that same level of quality. Some people are like, oh, I just outsourced my newsletter and I don't do anything with it. And then it's like, yeah, it, it loses that magic spark and it will die off. It, it might take time, but I, I guarantee it'll eventually die off. But if you find a way in your systems to capture that essence of your perspective and point of view and, and knowledge, then not everything has to be written by you. Like I know a lot of people that write newsletters based off of their podcast because they can talk about an idea on, on a podcast and then clip it out and their team will write that idea. And so they can create an amazing amount of content in an hour a week from a podcast because it's just them riffing on it. And then that turns into, you know, uh, Twitter threads and Instagram posts and clips and long form pieces and all that. And it's all their ideas, but it's probably actually written better than they would write it. Cause it's written by, uh, you know, a trained professional or edited by mm. someone else. And so I think you find the, the level that you should be precious about it. Like maybe it's the thing where you're like, okay, I will write the newsletter itself but then I'm going to get edited by someone else. And then I'm going to have someone else come through and turn that into Twitter threads or short form things. Um, and I'm going to approve it. But like if you wrote an idea to turn it into the perfect Twitter thread, that's even existing content. Like that can take you, it can take me an hour, two hours. And I'm like, I'm just reformatting this idea to like dial it in and make it perfect for Twitter. Yeah. And someone else can do that. Yeah. That's so true. That is, that, and, and it does like speak to the idea of like the, it kind of like is like the level one entrepreneur who thinks he should do everything on his own. Like the, the technician as they would mm -hmm. call it. It's like, I got to do everything on my own. It's not going to get done better than this. But uh, this also reminds me of like Justin Welsh uh, to a certain degree where it's like you take one piece of content, maybe it's like a podcast then you like sift it off and then create thousand pieces of content, but not through yourself, but through the means of like someone else who's like, you know, good at this or can actually yep. convey your message in a way that does it. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's all kinds of things on content systems that you can get into of reposting content, having a system. Like I have a spreadsheet that tracks everything I've ever posted on Twitter that has done well. Mm -hmm. And then like, it'll tell me how many days has been since I last reposted it. And I can look at that and go, oh, okay, cool. This hasn't been reposted. You know, this thread got, uh, I don't know, 5,000 favorites or something last time it was posted. Hasn't been reposted in six months. Go ahead and repost it because my audience has grown a bunch. And so you can take these things. Early on, people need to focus on content creation because mm -hmm. that's the skill that's going to drive so much of your business. But then later on, like just churning out more and more content constantly is probably not the best thing. And it turns into how can I make better use of what I've created and get more leverage? What would you say is like the, that I'm, I'm looking at the imagery of like the, the person who's like a monkey who turns into like a human later on and evolves into like a human. Yeah. So, so what would you say is like the evolutionary process of a creator uh, from one who really focuses in on just like the content piece and then uh, this reminds me of also like your levels of wealth creation that you posted on Twitter. If you if you are listening to this, we'll we'll have this we'll have this in the show notes because it's it's absolutely just amazing. Um, 
like what what would you say is like the evolutionary process to let's just say becoming like a nine figure, ten figure uh, creator? Not like everyone wants to be that way, but what would you say in in kind of like your experience? Yeah, well, first nine figures or ten figures would be a hundred million or a billion. So maybe we'll yeah. dial it back <laughs> a little bit to seven or eight. Yeah, a little bit. Okay, okay. A little over ambitious, but still, you know, um, yeah. No, I, <laughs> I I appreciate the heights on that, um, but. So I think in in the early days, the first thing that matters is honing a skill. I think too many people try to jump in and they're like, I see someone else teaching how to get rich on the internet, so let me teach that too as my path. Mm. In the creators that I respect the most, it doesn't mean it's the only path, it's just where I find myself respecting the most, or where they have a real life skill that they are bringing and teaching on the internet. For me, that was design. And then I ended up coming into this world of marketing and everything else. It could be marketing. It could be something else, right? But they have real life experience that is learned in the trenches, mm. right? Fitness, psychology, uh, woodworking, any of these things. They're not just saying like, what's something that's popular and let me like copy paste to my own audience. What would you say to the creators that are figuring it out online while they post? Right. It's like they're kind of faking it till they make it with the make money stuff and like whatever it is. Like they're literally figuring it out, but they don't come in with that skill. And obviously these are like younger people and, yeah. and whatnot. Like, what would you say to these guys? I think develop real skills. Uh I don't remember who said this. I wanna say it was a guy named Collis Taeen, who um he and his wife built a company called Invado uh out of Australia that became absolutely massive i'm not sure what it's up to now but they had all you know all these marketplaces for design resources and training and all kinds of it's amazing what they built um i want to say it was him that said if you want to be interesting online be interesting offline or do interesting things offline and i think so many people he probably said this in 2012 2013 um but so many people were like to be interesting on the internet. What are they going to come up with and what are they going to say? And it was just a good reminder of like, no, don't be interesting. Go do interesting things. Mm. You know, mm. go on a journey that's worth following. Uh, whether that is in the company that you're building or the skills you're trying to learn or the trips you're taking or who you're meeting or whatever else. But like get offline and go do those things and learn those things and then tell that story online. And I think... Uh, this is like so many of the AI newsletters that I see right now. <laughs> this yeah. is something, you know, I just see them like copy paste of what worked and what the latest thing is. And there's so much hype around it that mm. it works and they're making crazy money. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And they're improving, you know, if people's lives and educating them, I just don't personally find it interesting. Like yeah. I, yeah, I want to see them do other things. That said, it's a great way to learn, right? If you're just saying, I want to I want to learn how to build an audience. Okay, there's two mm -hmm. ways to do it. I could read all of the books. I could study everything, take seven courses on it and all of that, which you're going to learn a lot. And, and a lot of that's good. But ultimately, just do it, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, I set up my ConvertKit newsletter, got a landing page. I've tweeted about it. One person clicked on it. Okay, what is it? You know, how do I write threads that are relevant? How do I do all these other things? But I'll just really stress that 
it's important to learn by doing. And the most interesting content on the internet is created by people who are doing interesting things off the internet. Mm-hmm. And they're telling stories from their own perspective. And so to do that, you have to get out and live. Yeah. Yeah. So level one would be content piece. And then I think level one is learn, learn skills, learn the skills. Yeah. And then, and then what is the next level to that? Yeah. So I think from there, once you have a tangible skill that you want to bring and teach on the internet, then it's the basics of building audience, you know, getting to that first 100 subscribers, that first thousand Mm -hmm. subscribers. Mm -hmm. And really in that you have to learn how to write. You have to learn how to, I mean, back in the day, it was install WordPress on a Bluehost web server. <laughs> Thankfully, you yeah. don't have to <laughs> go yeah. through that process anymore. Um, but, you know, going like learning those skills, it is not obvious. Like we, we aren't born knowing how to write a headline. We're not born knowing the value of an email list. And so you have to learn those things um, somewhat firsthand. You either take someone else's advice for, for it or you learn it firsthand. Um and so I think that that early growth, uh, and then really there, the one thing that's most important is consistency. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you are creating every day for two years, like show up consistently, that's I think the right time period because so many people are saying, you know, I was all inspired to start a YouTube channel and I did, and I made a video a week for three weeks and it just didn't work out and I guess it isn't for me. Yeah. You know, I was going to write this book and I worked on it every single weekend for two months, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it's like, that's not going to get you where you're trying to go. And so you have to show up every day for two years. And yeah. then at that point, at the two year mark, you're allowed to reevaluate. Mm. And I have just encountered very, very few people who showed up consistently on that level and, and didn't make it like pretty much everyone I can think of, it might've taken them a long time and a lot of iteration, but if they stuck with it, they uh, ended up having big success. And this is even true for ConvertKit, right? I talked about starting ConvertKit January 1st, 2013. Well, January 1st, 2015. So two years in exactly the day revenue was less than $2,000 a month and it was flat. Hmm. Right. So all signs point to, you should not keep going. Now, a year later, January 1st, 2016, uh, revenue was $100,000 a month. Fast forward another year, is $500,000 a month. Um, another year is eight or 900000 a month, right? And so there's just so many things that when you start off, uh, like that consistency and then the tenacity to stick with it for a long time are so, so important. Can I ask, because uh, this is uh, something that is a little bit close to my heart, is like, what part did your uh, your wife have in enabling that for you? Yeah, um, she had a huge role in that. So there was a moment where I was trying to decide whether to shut down ConvertKit or double down on it. And she you know, I, I had this eBooks business that was uh, making good money and I was really saying, okay, I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to focus and go all in on ConvertKit. The thing that, you know, is not working 
<laughs> like if you look at the data, this is why sometimes people are like, you know, just trust the data. Mm. Well, if, if in this case I trusted the data, the correct move is to shut down ConvertKit and focus on growing this eBooks business, right? I'm at 200,000 a year in revenue. I can get to 250. It maybe it can scale to 500,000 a year. Um, and that's back when audiences were small, right? This is 2015. Now audiences are five times as big and, and creators revenue is five times as big. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that were making like the same level of creator that was making $200,000 a year uh, in 2014 is now making like a million to, you know, 2 million a year. Um, and it's absolutely wild. And it's just because audience sizes have gotten so much bigger creators are so much more sophisticated. Uh, the willingness to pay is higher, you know, all of, all of the stuff. But my wife really said like, no, you should, you have the spark around ConvertKit. Why don't you uh, focus in on it and stick with it? And so we ended up uh, like doubling down on the company. Thanks to what she said. It was kind of funny. We talked about it. And she was like, yeah, you should go all in. Like worst case, you know, we can sell the house that we bought, move in with my parents, you know. And she like walked through her worst case scenario. And I was like, oh, my worst case scenario is that I'll go get a a design job. (laughs) Like I'll go work (laughs) for a company as like a, you know, user experience design manager or something. And (laughs) and so it's like, wait, if that's your worst case scenario and you're 100% on board with it. Like we're gonna be, <laughs> we're gonna yeah. be just fine because there's no <laughs> yeah. way that's happening, and so that was a big vote of confidence, and uh, she's been amazing through the whole process. Yeah, it, it reminds me of um, uh, when I had actually we weren't even married at the time, but when I had first met my wife, and then we went on this uh, beautiful trip. Uh, I came to this realization of what I was doing before, which was uh, I was I owned this gym for about 11 years. And I was like, I'm, I'm so done with this. Like I, but it was providing me a really good income. And then I remember telling, uh, my wife, Linda at that time, I was like, I'm like, so done. I'm, I think I'm going to like sell this gym. And then her response back to me was like, all right, go do it. And, and, and there's just something about that vote of confidence that you get from someone that you absolutely love, who, who has the utmost confidence in like anything that you put your mind to, you can achieve. Uh, Having having like just an, an amazing wife and shout out to your wife as well. Um, you know, having an amazing wife is is such a superpower. Yeah, that, that is ridiculous. One thing uh, that I do is I um, a little thing with ConvertKit. I write birthday and anniversary cards for the team, um, nice. and so my assistant helps me put together a bunch and you know, and then I'll write them out and, and just mail them over over time. And I always send letters. Actually, that's a ton of letters. It's like. <laughs> Don't you have like a hundred people on your team or something like that? We have 80. So it's probably, yeah, 160 to, uh, it's, it's, it's almost, it's probably 180 a year. Uh, so it's, it's quite a few, but if you, you know, again, sit down and batch it. Um, uh, but the thing is, is on the first, I used to do this on every like work anniversary that people had and it got to too many. So I had to scale it down to only the first one, but I send a, a thank you card to the team member. And then I also write a separate one and send it to their spouse or their partner or whoever else, right? Mm. And the gist of it is basically saying that like in order to do great work, it requires support. And so we always say like, Dan, you do such amazing work, you know, like, and all that. And uh, 
you know, what I actually do is send a card to their spouse saying like, thank you for all yeah. of the, you know, support and everything you provide, because that's what it requires to do amazing work. And so that card usually makes me pretty popular as well as like accurately yeah. representing, <laughs> you yeah. know, or uh, accurately thanking them for their role in, you know, ConvertKit's success. Well, this brings me to, um, uh, to another thing that, I just really respect about you. It's actually like a couple of things. Number one is like, you actually do things that don't scale. Uh, even yeah. though you, you run a nine figure, uh, business. Uh, the other thing is, is that you get like multiple buy-ins from the same employee or not even the same employee, they're investors, right? Cause you give them equity. Mm-hmm. So, so you get the equity buy-in, you get the spouse buy-in because they're like, I'm not, I never got like a thank you card from like the owner before. And you also get like the employee buy-in cause they, they know that you care enough to give them like a handwritten note. Like wh- what is all the, like, what are the, some of the things that you do like at this very moment that, that aren't scalable whatsoever, but you, you deem important in your life when it comes to running mm-hmm. a company. Yeah. I mean, you touched on some of the big ones. Um, like I really believe in the idea that the team is who makes the product and then the product is what serves the customers and and on from there. And so focusing on the right team, I mean, it's a cliche, but focusing on the right team is everything. And so it's interesting. I think being at other companies where I just didn't feel appreciated or watched other people not feel appreciated you realize that it's often the small things, Mm. right? If you watch someone's idea kind of get poached from them in a meeting and then it runs with it or or, (laughs) at the last company I was at, you know, this is 10 years ago now, uh, you'd see this phenomenon where it happens a lot with women where a woman will say something in a meeting and people go, Oh, that's interesting. And then move on. And then Mm. like, 10 minutes later, a man will bring up the same idea and people will be like, oh, <laughs> great idea. Let's do that. And like half the room is like, what, uh, what, <laughs> what's going on? Um, yeah. And so I've just noticed so many times in my career that like often people aren't leaving a company or, or like the reason that someone is disengaged or they leave or something else is not something major like, oh, I fundamentally disagree with the vision for this company or I'm just not getting paid enough or whatever else, it often comes down to like, look, I don't feel like my work matters, like I have a voice or like I'm valued. Um, and so I try to spend a lot of time on those things in addition to like to paying really competitively and um, all of that. Aside <laughs> I, from the thank you cards, are there any things that come to mind um, You know, for people that are running teams right now? What are, what are some of the things that you do uh, to kind of like just show people that they're, that they're being seen. Yeah. Um, I try to visit people, you know, we have a distributed team. So whenever we're in town, um, uh, visiting them, like well, I was just hosting an event in Nashville over the weekend. I actually felt bad because, uh, I ran into Danny, who's our head of content on the street. Cause she and her husband had stayed overnight at the hotel where we had hosted the event. And I was with another creator, Dan Runcy. We were going on a walk and, uh, catching up. And so I ran into Danny and her husband, Sean, and I was like, oh, and like introducing them and, and all of that. And I said like, oh, Danny's worked at ConvertKit for like more than six years. And she goes, yeah, actually seven. And there's like two things in the moment. One where I was like, shit, I wish I remembered, you know, like you're right. It is seven years. But then also this realization, like I have a lot of people on my team 
that have been here for five, six, seven years, eight years. Um, my head of operations is yeah, over eight years now. Um, I have engineers that have been eight, nine years. And so like this investment in people is, is paying off in a really big way. But I think, you know, there's the obvious things that people latch onto, um, you know, equity, profit sharing, team retreats, the way we invest in people. But I think a less obvious one is how you treat people after they leave. Hmm. Because everyone is kind of wondering like, yeah, yeah, we're, uh, we're on the best terms when we're on the inside, but what happens when we're on the outside? Right. And so many companies, if someone leaves, they're like, yeah, we didn't need them anyway. Or like, you know, let me walk you out the door or, you know, whatever else. Um, and I had this moment at craft and commerce, which is our annual conference for creators. We were hosting a mastermind group for about 40 top creators before the event. And I looked around the room and out of all of the, these creators, I think there were five people. Let me think. Daryl, Alexis, Matt, yeah. Angel, and Barrett, who were all uh, running fantastic companies of what they're doing, either individual as creators or agencies or other things they've built, who were all ConvertKit alumni. Hmm. And that was pretty special because it was like, oh, this is our world. It's not like, I, I think seeing as creator as team members, right? You see how people are treated after they leave. And like, obviously we've had people that we've had, you know, falling outs with or something else where I'm like, I wouldn't like, I'm not going to continue that relationship. That does happen. But just, I think the rest of your team is really looking at how do you treat someone when they've left your company, when they're no longer providing you any value or serving your customers or on your payroll. Uh, And that says a lot about how you're going to treat them when they inevitably at some point, right? Whether it's at year five or year 20, at some point, they're no longer going to work together. And you get to tell them in how you treat every past team member, how you're going to treat them. I've seen that in real time. Uh, one of the guys you mentioned was like Matt Ragland. Or yeah, Matt. for sure. And, 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 and quite honestly, it's like from a business owner's perspective, it's like you play the positive sum game because you have no qualms over even promoting Matt's business online oh, yeah. to other people. Uh, and to me, it's like the, the greedy business owner would be like, no, like it's all for me. Like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to take it all. But, but for you, it's like, you play this like positive sum game, especially with like people who have worked with you and, and you don't mind like promoting them, promoting their businesses. I've seen you, I think like feature uh, Daryl Vester or Daryl yep. Vesterfeld. Yeah. On your, uh, on your creative uh, podcast. And, and, and it reminds me of like how people talk about their exes after they leave, right? It's like, <laughs> you can learn so much. You can learn a lot uh, just based on how the breakup and, and what happens afterwards. So that's, that's huge, man. Um, that's massive. Like, I think it's like this ph- philosophical thing where it's just like how you actually treat people in the entire life cycle of like when they work with you mm-hmm. is how others are going to experience or that's how others kind of like see themselves at some point in time when they, when they enter your company and they see exactly what's, what's going on. Yep. Yeah. yeah and it, it, I just think it's so important. Like on one hand, the creator ecosystem, if you don't want any, let's see how to put this. If you're like, yeah, sure, that's altruistic and all of that, but like, I'm just here to <laughs> to yeah. run a business. Yeah, <laughs> let me tell you, the creator ecosystem feels huge. It is, in fact, very, very small. Yeah, 
And so uh, there are definitely people that you experience where it's like, hey, by the way, don't don't do business with that person. Yes. And it happens in like yes. a little side conversation of like, they have this whole public persona and all of that. Like I'm cheering for them, but like just heads up, I wouldn't start that company with them. I wouldn't do yeah. that collaboration. Yeah. And like reputation is everything. And so yeah. if you, you know, just have that reputation of like, look, when I do a project, everyone is going to win. And I'm going to make sure even if something fails right in that I'm going to be like, okay, here's the remaining resources. You have them. Like, I'm going to make sure that, uh, like other people are coming out better than me because in the short term and hopefully in the long term, but I know that all of this comes together and I get texts all the time. Like, Hey, will you invest in this? Or can you help me launch this thing or, mm. or whatever else? And I know it comes from the fact like this positive, some mentality. Yeah. Um, not to name names, but you know, creator space is extremely small, smaller than people actually think, especially like with people who have like bigger followings. And uh, if one person does like one thing that is just like that doesn't have scruples, uh, it's it's almost like every single creator is gonna is gonna hear about it, yeah. <laughs> and then they won't want to work with that person. Now, the creator space is like super small right now, or I would still say it's like in the infant stages. Like mm-hmm. everyone's just like figuring out the creator space at this very moment. Where do you see this going in the next like five to 10 years? Because like from my perspective, it's like guys like me who want to run a business and also have an audience and distribution. Uh, we want to be able to kind of like, you know, have an audience to be able to sell our wares and whatever it is. But now I'm seeing CEOs, uh, I'm seeing founders, I'm, I'm seeing everyone kind of like jump into this creator space. So like in the next, so I, th- I kind of see it as like being a little bit more crowded, but in your perspective, where exactly do you see this thing going? Yeah, a few things. First, the technology has gotten remarkably easier. You know, now, well, say back in the day, right? How do I host a website? How do I sell a product, right? And it's like, okay, WordPress and eJunkie and whoever else, right? If we're talking 10 10 years ago or more, um, that was really difficult. It's really easy now. Mm Mm-hmm. Or at least simple, right? You can learn this. You can set it up. Single platforms will do all kinds of things. Payment processing is is very, very straightforward. So it just requires a lot less time. In the same way that payment processing was a wildly difficult problem in software. And now, you know, you're just like, I just spun up Stripe and now I can process payments for my SaaS app that I built 20 minutes ago. Right? The tooling has gotten so much easier. So that means more people can be part-time creators, right? The CEO of a company, the teacher, whoever else. And so you're going to have more and more people dipping their toes in the water. The next thing is the sophistication is so much higher, right? People understand pricing and packaging. And there's so many great examples out there. Like this is how you do great marketing. This is, uh, I feel like trends of what's working on social spread much faster. You know, you see something else working and you capture that into your niche. And then the last thing is audience sizes are just so, so much bigger. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the things, you know, I remember in 2012, 2013, 20,000 people on an email list, 30,000 people on an email list was a lot, right? Leo Babauta got named for Zen Habits. It's like one of the top 25 websites by Time Magazine that makes the internet great. I think he had 10 or 12,000 subscribers at the time. Hmm. And the equivalent now would be like 500,000. 
you know? And so audiences have gotten way, way bigger. Even as you get these crossovers, um, like you think about the popularity of podcasts. Right now you have this thing uh, in the podcast world where more and more celebrities are starting them, right? Like mm-hmm. um, uh, Jason and Travis Kelsey have, the NFL players have their podcast, which was popular, but they've been doing it for a while. And then you're like, okay, so even like the most famous NFL players, right? They were against each other in the Super Bowl. Like who, like such a great story. Um, they start a podcast that doesn't go to number one, right? Until you get this other thing, like the NFL is popular and then you get Taylor Swift coming in <laughs> and like bringing an entirely new audience. And so even when you realize, like, okay, there's no way the NFL can get more distribution because it's already as popular as it possibly could be. And then, you know, Taylor comes on and like, that was one of the most watched games ever because for an entire fan base, Taylor Swift is in attendance, right? And so you're like, wait a second. Okay. Even for something that popular, the audience and expansion is so big. And then, you know, Travis and, and uh, Jason's podcast goes to number one, goes from, you know, way down the list, still insanely popular, but to number one. And so you think of if someone, if we go all the way, right? We're saying, you know, we have a Taylor Swift fan who is now watching NFL games and now listening to a podcast. They're in there on Spotify like, oh, I didn't even know Spotify had this podcast thing. I've never paid attention to it. Now I'm listening to, you know, two NFL players talk on a podcast. Oh, what's this other podcast? Okay. And then you have this thing. And so audience sizes are just getting insanely large. And this creator world is just barely starting to go mainstream. And so I think, you know, 10 years from now, tools will keep getting better. Audiences will get remarkably better. And then the systems and processes for what works will get better. The last thing on that is this trend of creators selling equity rather mm. than attention. Mm. And this is something actually, I wrote an article about this in 2020 um, called Billion Dollar Creator. And this trend that I was seeing, because we're basically like, wait, audience sizes are bigger. Creators are better at capturing attention than they've ever been and better than anyone else in the world. But they're not as good at monetizing it. Right. Uh, if, if we take someone in the fitness space, if we take Mark Sisson, uh, he had a blog called Mark's Daily Apple, uh, 2012, 2013, 2014, quite popular. 100,000 email subscribers, 150,000, right? Very big list. One quick thing uh, a lot of the people who get the, the attention in the online marketing space are teaching online marketing. Mm-hmm. What's funny <laughs> to me, you step outside that space. And the audiences are five times as big, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like so the most famous person teaching online marketing, you know, is a hundred thousand subscribers, 500, whatever. And yeah. then like random food blog is 500,000 subscribers because it turns <laughs> out way more people want to know what to cook this week than yeah. care about learning online marketing. So anyway, audiences are huge. So what Mark does, he, he's in the paleo recipe diet space um, and, and broadly health and wellness but he keeps hearing from his audience. Well, so first, he's making a lot of money. I estimate between one and two million dollars a year off of this site. 2014, that's a ton of money. Like that mm-hmm. puts him in some of the best of the best on the internet. But he gets this idea and feedback from his audience that, you know, yes, they're making their own avocado oil mayonnaise and paleo friendly salad dressings, but it's a pain in the ass. And like, why doesn't a company just make this that they can buy off the shelf? And so he says, okay, I'm going to do it. 
And so he gets his initial uh, products, you know, like develops his recipes. Uh, he can, he's got an audience so he can meet minimum order quantities. He can test it, sell it directly, gets good feedback, and then starts to pursue distribution in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. What he can do, uh, this is a little bit of speculation, but what I assumed happened and some of the power of an email list is if you imagine like that first conversation with a buyer at Whole Foods, you know, not the consumer, but the person who's like responsible for deciding what brands go in there. He's like, Hey, uh, let's, you know, why don't you guys carry my brand? And they're like, we get pitches all the time, you know, why? So they go back and forth and eventually agree like, okay, we'll do a test in one store and we'll see how it goes. And he's like, cool. Um, which store, by the way, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and you know, say they're like, Oh, this store in Austin, it's live now. And he's like, sweet. Go to his email list. Punch in the zip code. Everybody within fifty miles of that. Oh, that's you know a thousand people or whatever. Send an email. Hey, big favor. I need you to go to this store and buy Primal Kitchen products. Yeah. A little follow up later with the uh, the rep at Whole Foods or wherever. Hey, how'd that go? And it's like we sold out completely. And he's like, no, really? That's amazing. <laughs> People must love our products, right? So you can yeah. do that when you have an audience. It's the power of an audience. Yeah. The short version of the story is in two years, they build Primal Kitchen to this massive brand launched off of his audience and they sell it to Kraft Foods for $200 million. Yeah. And so when you think about that, uh, first, he's got, he was making a million, maybe $2 million a year. Amazing business with this attention that he has. But clearly that's not the best way to monetize the attention because he just mm. went and created like a hundred years worth of value in two years mm. by building something you have equity in. And so that's, I think the trend that's going to happen next yeah. is the earnings from creators are fantastic now. And you're about to see this wave of creators that builds like real companies that they have substantial equity in that are sellable and then you're going to see them build, you know, tens of or hundreds of millions or even a billion dollars in value in a few years off of an audience. And then that's the thing, like all the way along, there's never been a better time to be a creator because it's like clearer, clearest path ever to a hundred grand in revenue, hundred grand to a million, tons of examples of it happening. It's going to take the right creators to do it. But then also like that audience is making a million dollars a year has in many cases with red execution, a path to making a hundred million. And you're mm. just like, this is mind blowing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's kind of been the evolution that I've seen because I've went like right now, like I'm running a cash flow business mm-hmm. at this very moment. Right. It's like, there's no like sellable asset in like what I do, but then eventually what it's going to turn into is like actually creating something that has enterprise value, but it is in the decision of like what to sink my teeth into because all the like opportunities are coming like right now. Not to say that I'm like the sexiest girl on the block with like the red dress or anything like that, but but they are coming. It's just a matter of like, okay, so like what exactly would I want to point my my efforts and my magnifying mm-hmm. glass on? And then I think like it's the decision from a creator standpoint to be like, okay, so what do I believe in? What do I what can I promote? for the next like five to 10 years and not like get sick and tired of it. Right. And not feel like it's like taking away from like what I'm doing. This is like a very specific question. It may not relate to a lot of people, but there's a selfish one for me. It's like, so in that case, 
when you're doing when you have like creators that are doing sponsorships, would then those sponsorships just turn into promoting whatever they have in enterprise value and whatever they have in terms of like whatever they have equity in and they wouldn't take sponsorships after that? I think it depends, right? So I like that you called out enterprise value, which for some people might be a more of a nerdy term, but basically we're just talking about, you know, the equity that's built up in, in a company. And a lot of people have this dichotomy between short-term cash flow and long-term enterprise value. Uh, and often, I talk about this in the, the essay, The Ladders of Wealth Creation, often a focus on long-term enterprise value means less short-term cash flow and, yes. and the inverse. And so <laughs> it's a hard yeah. thing to walk because you know enterprise value is not going to buy groceries. Yeah. <laughs> at least probably not for 10 years, right? Um, well, technically, that's what you did when you went from like selling your books and courses over to starting ConvertKit too. Correct. So that must have been like a, a huge, a huge decision in that sense. There were some lean years in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I joke about that, but there was like five. It's fascinating watching, like if you graph my take-home pay, I think I might have done it in one of my, maybe in one of my annual reviews. I'll have to look. Um, but where I actually graph my income and it, it peaks at like 250000 a year and then goes down I think the lowest is probably like sixty or seventy thousand a year. Um, after that, and then climbs and ends up, you know, over a million dollars a year. But it like that people expect that, like, okay, once I'm making this, I'm going to continually mm. um, do it. But mm. the the point I make in the ladders of wealth creation article is that when you jump between ladders, often income goes down, mm. um, and it often takes longer than you think. Is there a way to side hustle that by any chance? Oh, for sure. But I guess like it. Like I guess it's also like um, when you went all in on ConvertKit, that's when you saw the greatest growth. Mm-hmm. And then if you try to side hustle it, then that kind of like toes the line between two, and then it kind of says that I'm not necessarily that serious about this, so I'm not going to point all of my power towards like promoting this one thing that I think is going to create as much or more value than what I'm currently creating. Yeah, I think. It depends on what you're doing. I um, there's a creator named Sean McCabe who uh, I've read a book called The Overlap Technique, which is basically you know okay how are you going to overlap your two things to avoid a lot of that dip and to mm-hmm. to eliminate a lot of the risk. And so I, I think that that's really good. You know, start a side hustle and all that. It's hard to know when the side hustle is serving you versus when mm-hmm. uh, it's actually holding you back. For mm-hmm. me, mine was holding me back for a while. Um, but I'm a big believer in, um, you know, building a runway or something else to jump between it. Mm-hmm. Now, something that you said earlier is about that shift from, you know, promoting other products through advertising or affiliates or something to promoting your own products. And I think a mistake creators make is they think they get the idea that they're too important. And so th- there's sort of this spectrum where you realize you're like, I'm just happy to get paid for the attention that I'm directing to other people's products. And then you realize how much enterprise value is being gained in those other products. And then you go, I'm worth more, pay me an equity. Hmm. Most of the time, those companies are going to say, no. Right? You're one creator of a thousand that we could work with, right? Like, yes, attention is valuable, but I can get it a lot of different places. And then relationships break down and fall apart. I think that... The thing that creators need to do is think more 
instead of demanding like pay me in equity, say, oh, I'm going to pay myself in equity. And that's when they end up starting these companies that have mm. um, like a really good fit with their audience. Now, when you do that, it's very important to focus on the right creator, audience, product fit. And it's all three of those. And I've been studying this more and more in celebrity brands because you have a lot of examples of Ryan Reynolds with Aviation Gin and Mint Mobile and on and on, right? Rihanna with Fenty. Um, all of the, these examples that have done incredibly well. And I'm trying to find more examples of the ones that have failed, mm-hmm. right? Where someone said, oh, I'm super famous. Let me glance over that way and see if it builds a company. Yeah. Um, so if people have those examples, email me, Nathan, I can work it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the most successful examples is with the rock with his whiskey company or sorry, his tequila company where he really dove in. It wasn't like, Oh yeah, by the way, I have a tequila. It's no, he's there taste. He's doing tastings. He's creating content around that. that. He's visiting, um, you know, the production factory, like he is all in on making this the right thing. And so I would encourage people to find something that they can really, you know, show up for and promote every single day for years um, and hone the product on rather than say like, okay, what's kind of ancillary to my audience and I'll like throw some attention over there and over here. If you're going to do that, stick to advertising your affiliate deals. Yeah. Yeah. This has been amazing. And, uh, and, I wish we had like more time. I wish we had like two hours to go. I do have like a couple of more questions. Yes, yeah, I've got some. Uh, this see. is a side. I know for uh, some people uh, listening to this, they're like, man, what is, these guys are getting into the weeds of the, like the creative business. And that's great. Uh, one of the things that I am interested in is, is this idea of balance. And for you right now, like you're running a very successful company. Uh, you have two children from three, what I recollect. Three, now. three, chi- three children. Okay. So congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> and uh, you also have a wonderful life. You have a, a, a wonderful lifestyle. What are kind of like your principles to balancing all of these things? Because obviously you have like incredible time demands every mm-hmm. single way. So, so what are your principles to, to doing that with yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, First, a lot of things that I'm trying to do don't actually take that much time. Like, uh, I was working out on my own three, four days a week. And I don't know, maintaining decent health and fitness levels. I've dropped down. Not only work out twice a week, other than the occasional hotel gym workout, but I work out with a trainer. And I've had more results in the last, like, four months than the previous three years because someone is like, no, we're actually going to do 10 reps of that. Or we're going to do it this way. Or like, yes, you are going to do weighted planks, you know? (laughs) Right. And so I think setting that structure where you're actually making the most of your time uh, Mm -hmm. makes a big difference. Uh, Another thing along those lines is when I travel for work, like there's a ton of value for me in traveling for work. And it used to be kind of sporadic, right? If there's a meeting or a conference, like I'm going to show up and see what happens. Maybe I'm giving a talk and we go from there. Um, Now I have a dialed in playbook for if I'm traveling, this Mm. is the playbook that we're going through. And it ends up being pretty tiring, but like I'll sleep on the flight home. Uh, So to give you an an example, I was in Nashville last week 
and all the things. Let's see. First, uh, a lot of individual meetings, right? Like I mentioned, uh, Dan Runcy, who's an amazing content creator. I sat down with uh, Brian Kaplan, who's runs all of Tim McGraw's digital businesses uh, and all of that. He's been a customer for a long time. So like some of these important meetings, um, either customers or potential customers, um, make sure to always have those. Uh, I will do a, a host of mastermind. So try to get, you know, 15 to 20 creators all in a room that I'm connecting in, in that city. And we'll have people fly in for it too, but often it's, uh, people in, in that city. We then I have a podcast called billion dollar creator, uh, and it's pretty new and we wanted to launch it with a bang. And so we're like, okay, we're going to do live recordings and, you know, in front of an audience, I think we had almost a hundred people in Nashville, New York, we had maybe 130, 140, um, to like build that fan base early. And so now I'm in live recording where we're creating content and then we're hosting a creator meetup afterwards. Uh, and so everyone can meet each other and, Oh, and then we also host dinners, right? <laughs> so in a 48-hour period, yeah. I will interact everything from one-on-one to a group setting to a mass setting with 100 or more creators in a way that delivers a ton of value. And it's uh, very systematized mm-hmm. in the sense that it's to, for my team, it's just like run this playbook in New York, run it in Nashville. Okay, we're going to run it in New Orleans and then Austin and then LA after that. And it's creating you know, everything from one-on-one connections to group connections to like content that will be listened to for by thousands and thousands of people. And then of course we'll create clips from that uh, and spread from there. Going back to the idea of if you want to be interesting on the internet, do interesting things off the internet. And so like our content is way more interesting as we're, you know, going on a podcast tour. And so it's a lot of, if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm going to be away from my family for two days and get on a plane how do I make the most of that? Um, mm-hmm. And not in a like, oh, I guess I have to spend all this money and fly private or whatever else. Like, no, just how can you condense a ton of value into a short amount of time? Uh, Flying private is kind of cool too. It is. You know, just, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not and, quite and there to do it consistently, but yeah. How often? Much. How often are you doing traveling right now uh, on a month-to-month basis? Probably twice a month. Okay, so twice a month, and it's just like two days at a time. Uh, yeah. It's like a weekend or something like that. Yeah, probably okay. two to four days at a time. Um, sometimes they're longer. We'll do a team retreat, that yeah. kind of thing. But even again, and, at a team retreat, right? I'm getting my whole yeah. team together for a week. So I'm going in with a plan. Here's what I'm teaching. Here's how I'm resetting like our focus on our mission and our vision. Hmm. Here's the 15 team members that I really want to connect with. Um, you know, Because maybe I don't work with them as much anymore because our team's now 80 people. Um, right. And so it's just going in each thing that you're doing, going in with a plan. Um, so you're not wasting all of this time in the margins, like the equivalent of going to the gym and kind of messing around for an hour and then going home and you're like, yeah, I worked out. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and I'm happy that you did. That's way better than not having done it at all. Yeah. But like, then when you're like, yeah, you, you know, I don't know, like a year from now you could be like, ah, oh, working out's not really for me. Like I did it for a year and I didn't really get results. And it's like, well, how did you do it? What level of intention did you have in it? It, That's actually something that's coming out to me uh, in this last part of this conversation, which is the intentionality piece, where you go into every single situation and you are very intentional about how you want to spend your time, Mm -hmm. how you want to block out your time, how you want to focus it. And even in the gym, it's like 
yeah, you can go to the gym like twice a week, but if you're doing like, you know, if you're not doing what's effective and like, you know, anything, if you don't have a proper program, then it's kind of like you're, you're kind of spinning your wheels a little bit, but mm-hmm. that because you have a trainer being very intentional about the results that you want. Um, one of the things um, that from, from my angle, I'm like, okay, so you're running this company, you travel, you know, twice a month, uh, you have your family. What are some things that you do to manage your energy levels? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I try to sleep a lot, like mm. even I'm like napping and whatnot, or what's that? Just like like napping or no, just like sleep? okay, try to sleep eight hours a day. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. My wife loves sleep as well, and so mm. that you know she's a good influence in that way. One <laughs> um, of the things managing energy levels. Other people are much better at like listing out, this is what gives me energy, this is what drains me, yeah. that kind of thing. I'm not in that way. One thing I'm struggling with right now is like the onslaught of information. Mm. Um, and then you often have an emotional reaction to something. But if you just consumed 25 things, let's say in the last 10 minutes, I've gotten five text messages, um, read a bunch of Slack messages, uh, scrolled through Twitter, maybe some Reddit, Um, some Instagram reels or something like that. And I finish and like, I kind of have that feeling in my chest, like, I'm frustrated about something. Mm. I just consumed 25 pieces of information. And so it's really hard to pinpoint that down. Oh, in the emails that I went through, there was that customer who was frustrated about this thing, which ties into the project that didn't ship on time. And that's what I'm upset about. Mm. But if you go through this just like ridiculous fire hose of information from 10 different sources, then it's really hard to pin that down. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to be much more deliberate about shutting things off. So I'm not like writing the email that I'm trying to write and responding to the text and then Slack, not just because of the distraction, but because of the emotional roller coaster that comes with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your boundaries around that? Um, around, let's just say, like, stopping the flow of information or avoiding the flow of information that comes your way. Yeah. I don't think I have good ones right now. Um, but I think one thing that I like to do is write out my to-do list and then, you know, try to quit the internet and then resurface <laughs> yeah. every, every two hours or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. cause nothing is urgent. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine who has run some really good asynchronous companies and I think I fall in the trap of trying to make too many things synchronous happening at the same mm. time, real time communication. Mm. And he has a big time zone difference, right? That he's uh, not in North America. And so that he's used that to his advantage in a huge way. And he's like, I do asynchronous work. And that's something that I want to get much better about because it focuses on the quality of the ideas, everyone working, you know, in their best time. Uh-huh. Mm. But is yeah, there anything the that you learned from your friend right so far? Is, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Is there anything that you learned from your friend so far that you want to apply to your life? I, I think the biggest thing is to like limit the stream of information. Yeah. And because I can't solve every problem. Yeah. And so just saying, okay, all of this that comes in falls into like four or five major buckets. And then we're going to tackle those one at a time um, rather than constantly bouncing between it. Because yeah. uh, otherwise, you just end up totally ineffective. Yeah, I use a. I, I try to use a kitchen safe, which is like, I literally like lock up my electronics 
and put it on timer. And it's safe and there's a timer. And it's great. Uh, but then you realize like how addicted you are to uh, to screens and information because then you're like going on the TV looking for <laughs> YouTube videos and stuff and you just realize like, you know, it is partly like this addiction to information because we have such like a, a big overflow of it. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So Nathan, I just want to say thank you for your time. Um, I, I really loved the conversation that we had today. Thanks for having me uh, yeah, man. If there was one thing that you could put on a billboard so everyone else could see, uh, what would that be for you? Uh, I think like the overall message and everything I say is like show up consistently, show up every day for two years. You have this giant sign behind me that says create. Uh, that's as much of a message for me as it is for anyone else. And so I just like all the results that you want and the difference between like where you are today and where you want to be or where you are and, and the people you admire are is just that consistent execution. Hmm. I, I think it's Charlie Munger talks about like the biggest rule of compounding is to not interrupt it unnecessarily. Yeah. And uh, I think about that all the time, right? Like ConvertKit's 10 years in now, the scale that we're at, we just passed 50,000 paying customers. And like that took 10 years, you know, 10 yeah. and a half years. And like I look to a company like MailChimp where they were a tiny bit ahead of us where we are now. They were a tiny bit ahead revenue-wise at the 10-year mark. And then fast forward another 10 years and they're at a billion a year in revenue. Hmm. And so even at, like I just have to continually remind myself of that idea of stay focused, let things compound, and really focus on what you can control, which is, not just showing up every day, but how you show up and the intentionality yeah. that you have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you so much uh, for this and uh, and for the wisdom that you gleaned. And, uh, and yes, uh, if people want to follow you uh, and if people want to learn more about your work, uh, obviously, like if, if you are listening to this podcast right now, if you're watching this on YouTube, number one, if you're a creator, go get ConvertKit. Um, I'll have my affiliate link somewhere down in the description <laughs> below or something like that. But but literally go get ConvertKit. Not because like, you know, there's not because of any other fact that they are literally the best uh email uh CRM type of company that that mm -hmm. is out there right now, especially for creators. Um second thing I would say is like uh, go follow uh Nathan, uh, because one of the things that attracted me to ConvertKit in the first place was the fact that you're leading from the front. Is the fact that you're the one that's educating that the fact that you're the one that's putting on the stories as well uh the ceo is is literally like invested heavily into this company and he sh and it shows on social media so so anyways like nathan uh where can people actually uh follow you on social media and actually is there anything like i guess you have the billion dollar creator uh podcast yeah. is there anything else that people can go deeper with you yeah so the podcast is a big focus and so just search billion dollar creator it's where we're talking about this idea of Creators are great at capturing attention. And then how do they monetize it better? What's mm. the future of that? Um, it's probably more of like a mid-level to professional level uh, creator focus in that show. Uh, but my, I'm just at Nathan Berry on Twitter. I don't post much on Instagram, but uh, my <laughs> newsletter is NathanBerry.com and Berry is B-A-R-R-Y. And so those would be the big things. Go sign up for the newsletter, check out yeah. the podcast and uh, shoot me an email, just Nathan at ConvertKit.com. Nice. Say hi. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
Thank you again for listening to The Dan Go Show. We have some amazing episodes coming your way, so make sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. If you're already subscribed and today's episode hit home for you, please share this episode with someone that you know who'd benefit from listening. Take care and see you every week on your favorite podcasting app. Thank you.